This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. With a foot of snow coming, no better time to record a new scoop podcast than right now on Friday, early afternoon, late morning, the 13th of April. We will do guest guest and potentially a third guest. I just, I never know the best way to do this. So we'll just, we'll knock out guest, guest, guest. And I have a bunch of notes toward the end of the podcast. This is Scoop Podcast episode 139, going two years strong now. We begin with the news of the week. I mean, the Wolves making the playoffs is monumental news, but nothing is bigger than Lindsey Whalen taking over the Gophers women's Basketball program, somebody who knows Lindsay incredibly well, former teammates with the Gophers, former teammates with the Lynx, is Janelle McCarville. And Janelle is nice enough to join us now. Janelle, thanks for your time. What was your reaction when you heard the news that Lindsay Whalen was taking over the Gophers program? Um, I was pretty ecstatic, to be honest. I, I was jumping up and down when I, when I saw the news come across. Um, and I thought it was a great hire for the University of Minnesota. Uh, it's a great step for Lindsay and her, you know, in her career. And... I don't know. I was just all around uh, happy about it. It's, it's great for the program, and you know, I know she's gonna gonna do great things at the U. Did you have any sense whatsoever that she was a candidate? Um, I wasn't in the dark. Yes, um, I, I I had heard rumbling, so I was, you know, I knew of it. I just didn't know when it was going to be announced or anything. Um, I knew she had uh, put her hat into the ring, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, I, it, it's kind of a surprise that she got it, but then again, not really for me. I think she's more than deserving, and I think uh, you know it's, it's a step in the right direction for the for the U and women's basketball. Did you always see coaching traits? I mean, maybe even going back many, many years when you guys were teammates with the Gophers. I mean, we always talk about the point guard, you know, being the general on the floor. I mean, a de facto <laughs> coach in many ways, the point guard. I mean, did you see coaching traits with Lindsay going back many years or maybe when you guys were teammates with the Lynx? Uh, yeah, through the years, she's improved as a player and a leader. And I think, uh, you know, the, the next step for her at this point is coaching. And, you know, even though... You know, she's got the head job now, like you alluded to. She's been coaching and leading uh, teams for a decade now. You know, and through all those years and trials and tribulations of ups and downs and success and failure, I think she is, uh, you know, definitely ready to take the next step, and I think she'll be able to. She'll, I think she'll have a great, uh, you know, with the girls. I know she's practiced with them several times. Um, you know, so she, she's not new to the program by any means, and... I think she's ready to step in and, uh, you know, hit the ground running, and it's going to be great things. Were you surprised to hear that she'll play at least one more year with the Lynx? Um, no. I mean, Lindsay, she's unlike anybody else. You know, she takes a lot of contact. She takes a lot of fall. But she's, uh, you know, she's the consummate professional. She's doing what she needs to do to be ready um, for the WNBA season, you know, which in turn t- means taking off from European season to let her body recover, her mind recover, and be ready for when, uh, you know, the ball goes up in May in order to hopefully bring uh, a back-to-back title to to uh, the Lynx. You need to have a good staff because July is a grind on the recruiting scene, but July she'll be in the belly of the beast of, of the WNBA season. It is going to be tough. 
you know, there's definitely going to be some obstacles she has to overcome. She and her staff have to overcome, you know, with her still uh, playing WNBA. But, you know, again, I don't know how long her WNBA career will last. So to have this step as the head coach of the University of Minnesota is great for her. You know, the first year might be a little rocky, but every year after that, she's going to be, you know, improving as a coach and a leader as she has done for years, you know, in the years past. So in no way, shape, or form am I nervous for her or the university. I think it's a great hire, like I said, and, yeah, her staff might have some work cut out, but I think Gway would want it any other way. Are you confident in her abilities to handle the off-the-court stuff? I mean, I think on the court, I'm with you. I mean, diagramming plays, leading a team. I mean, I don't think that's going to be much of an issue, but I just wonder, there are so many NCAA rules you have to learn how to navigate. You know, I mean, recruiting is a tremendous grind. I mean, inevitably, there's going to be, you know, some adversity. You know, some parent is going to call and say, why isn't my daughter playing? You know, some player is going to have some drama. Do you feel safe in her abilities to handle the off-the-court stuff? I do. You know, and like you said earlier, it's going gonna, it's gonna to help when she has uh, staff around her that is able to, you know, take some of the, the brunt off of anybody coming at her, her or the team in that aspect. You know, and I think uh, in, this, in this day and age, people have to understand that, you know, everybody doesn't get to play. And, you know, you got to earn your minutes. I think that's going to be the biggest thing. I don't think she's going to show favoritism to anybody in any way. She's always been one, you know, through the years that you got to put in the work in order to, uh, you know, in order to get your time on the court. And I, I don't see her doing anything other than that, you know, leading, leading a group of young women, young girls into, uh, into battle on a daily basis. And, you know, like you said, there's going to be some ups and downs with the NCAA and guidelines and what the team cannot do. Obviously, the men still haven't figured that out, so, you know. <laughs> Lindsay, Lindsay might have, uh, you know, a little learning curve, but I don't think it's going to be anything that she can't, you know, anything she can't handle. If your phone rings, Janelle, if Lindsay says, hey, Janelle, do you have some interest in joining my staff, what would you say? I would not hesitate. Of course I'd say there's interest, but I'm sure she's going to make me, you know, put my resume out there just like everybody else's. So, you know, again, no biases. She probably wouldn't give me the job if, if, if she wanted to right away, I'd have to go through the interview process. But I would definitely jump at the opportunity to coach with Lindsay uh, at the next level, and especially at the U of M. I mean, that would be – I mean, it's amazing the fact that she's there. You know, I never thought – I never took a second to think if I was there as well, basically. So, um, you know, I'm letting Lindsay live in her moment right now. If that call never comes, I will cross that bridge when it does, but – I'm more than thrilled for Lindsay and the universities right now. And we'll leave you with this, Janelle. What is what is keeping you busy right now? Are you officially retired? I am not officially retired. Uh, I I came home from Sweden about three weeks ago, and I oh, spent nice. six months in Sweden playing there. So, no, not retired. Um, I've chosen not to play in the WNBA, um, but I have not retired from overseas as of yet. You know, I haven't had a reason to. If there's an assistant coaching spot available, mm-hmm. you know, I might I might rethink that option. But like I said, I haven't thought that far ahead. So I'm still still doing the European thing and teaching the young kids what it, what it means to post over there. <laughs> we love it, Janelle. Janelle, thank you so much for carving out a few minutes for us. And later today, the 3 o'clock introductory news conference, Lindsey Whalen introduced as the new Gophers coach will be definitely good times. Definitely. I'm happy for Lindsey and University and, you know, Gaiuma.
<laughs> Thank you, Janelle. You bet. Have a good day. Appreciate it. See ya. We go from talking about Lindsey Whalen with Janelle McCarville to talking about the Wolves and the Rockets and other NBA happenings with Memphis interim head coach. He's been on the podcast before. He's a good friend. He is J.B. Bickerstaff. J.B., how are things? Uh, things are good, baby. How about you? Things are good. Let me start with your thoughts on Lindsey Whalen. I mean, it's our alma mater. I mean, what was your reaction when you heard the news, presumably yesterday, that, that Lindsey is taking over going from, well, heck, she's still going to play. She'll play at least right. one more year in the WNBA, but she's taking over the Gophers women's basketball program. Uh, you know, I was excited about it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, having known Lindsey for you know a long time, uh, you know, knowing how much she means to the university, all the great things that she was able to do at the university, uh, you know, she can be an inspiration for, you know, young ladies um, moving forward, you know, to want to come play for uh, the Gophers. I think she has, you know, global exposure with all her time with Team USA and international basketball, and then obviously in the WNBA. Um, so I think that can help her recruiting base. So I think uh, the Gophers hit a home run there. I mean, I just wonder about her navigating all the NCAA rules. I think I'm with you. I mean, she has instant credibility. I have no doubt in my mind that when it comes to to leading practices, to diagramming plays, making in-game adjustments, I mean, she's been a de facto head coach for how long being a point guard. I just wonder, there are so many NCAA rules. I guess I guess the key would be to surround herself with, with the right staff. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what, you know, you, you hire the right people who have been, you know, involved in the NCAA uh, for quite some time who have that background and skill set, and then you lean on them. So I think her staff will be important, uh, obviously. But, you know, again, I just think, you know, with her stature and all the things that she's accomplished uh, and being, you know, a go for herself, uh, I think it's going to lead to a ton of success uh, for our women's program. All right, transitioning to the NBA, two years ago, which doesn't seem like that long ago, although, heck, think about all the changes in your life. Heck, my life. Heck, the world, for God's sakes, this country. But two years ago really wasn't that long ago. You were the head coach of the Houston Rockets. You guys were an eight seed. So like Minnesota, you were an eight seed. What are these days like leading into game one of the best of seven when you're an eight seed? I mean, is it just constant grinding, trying to figure out a way to, to you know, spring the upset? Yeah, and, you know, I guess for the Wolves, because everything happened on, you know, the last night of the season, uh, they spent a ton of time preparing to win that Nuggets game. Uh, so as soon as that game ends, you know, now you have to just dive deep into uh, all the film that you can possibly find uh, on the Rockets or on your opponent. Uh, you know, you're trying to find any weaknesses that you can exploit. Uh, you're looking at teams who had success uh, versus the Rockets, um, you know, and trying to see if, what they did fits your roster. And if your roster has the capabilities of doing those things, uh, you're looking at data, you're looking at the analytics, uh, whether it's on individual players and their tendencies, uh, overall team tendencies. Um, you know, you're looking at their play frequencies, uh, baseline out of bounds, special situations. Cause we all know it, you know, in, in these playoff series, uh, it comes down to the fourth quarters most nights and, you know, what sets do they run in the fourth quarter? Uh, how do they get, you know, their key guys the ball uh, in the fourth quarter in isolation situations? Where's the help, you know, in those situations? So it, it gets pretty deep. Uh, but, you know, like you said, you, you started Wednesday night, uh, you know, just hammering it home and seeing if you can find anything that you can take advantage of. 
Is there anything you can take advantage of with the Rockets? I mean, JB, do they have a weakness? Uh, I mean, you know, they've improved so much defensively uh, that it's hard to say that they do have weaknesses. Um, you know, obviously, they, you know, they live with the three-point shot. Uh, so you have to find a way to see if you can limit uh, their quality looks, you know, because they're still going to take threes. That's what they do. That's who they are. Uh, they try to create as many threes as they possibly can. But your responsibility and your thought going into it is how can we make all of these three-point shots difficult, contested, you know, and hopefully, hopefully force them uh, inside the three-point line and see if you can shrink the score and shrink their offensive efficiency by not allowing them uh, to play the three-point game. Is there any method to defending their pick and roll when Capella comes up? I mean, Capella's a good roller. I mean, to me, it's pick your poison. I mean, James either is going to beat you, you know, get to the basket, or he's going to free up somebody in the corner, Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, for, for a good look. I mean, I just I don't know how you defend their pick and roll. How would you defend their pick and roll? Well, I mean, that's, again, it comes down to, you know, what your scheme is and what your thought is behind it. Uh, you know, can they make enough twos to beat you? You know, or do you think the three-point shot, uh, they can't make enough threes to beat you? So, you know, you have to pick your poison. And if that's the case, you know, you're going to live with some capella dunks. You're going to live with some hardened drives. Uh, but, you know, do you think they can make enough of those twos to beat you? Or, you know, if your thought is the opposite, you know, can Ryan Anderson, can Eric Gordon, uh, Trevor Ariza, can those guys make enough threes to beat you? Um, you know, so again, as you go back and do your homework, uh, you see when they've been most effective, whether it's been the twos or the threes that hurt teams the most, uh, and in the games that they've lost, you know, you go back and see the teams give up the three, the teams give up the two, uh, and then you got to make your decision on which one you're going to live with. The thing that you can't live with is both. And I think that's where they get teams is, you know, they get to the basket so frequently. Uh, and then you overreact, and then they throw it out to a guy, and he knocks down a three. Uh, so you, you have to pick your poison there. Uh, and, again, you just go back and study uh, and see, you know, what's giving opponents the best opportunity to win. Is it crazy to think, I mean, that roster that you coached two years ago, I mean, who's left? I mean, Harden, obviously. Ariza. Ariza and Capella, Capella I think. Are, yeah, that's it. That's it, right. Three guys from yeah. two years ago. I mean, that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, from – Three years ago, you know, we were in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the roster's completely overhauled, uh, obviously, since then. You know, you keep, uh, you know, cornerstone pieces in James Harden. And I think, you know, Trevor Ariza is one of the most underappreciated players uh, in the NBA. Um, you know, if I was building a team, uh, you know, he's one of those guys, that 3 and D type player uh, that you need to have on your roster. And then Capella, I mean – Heck, I mean, he's gotten so much better, right? I mean, think about the player that you coached, Capella, two years ago to the player he is today. Right. I mean, there's no doubt about the improvement. You know, but even in, in that, uh, you know, we brought him up that year, and he helped us, you know, make a run to the Western Conference Finals. He played the majority of the year in the G League. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we called him up at the end of the season, and he was playing for us in playoff games. So, uh, you know, we knew there was something there. Um, he worked his tail off, obviously, to become a better player, uh, you know, and he's continued to grow and expand his game, and now he's grown into the player that he is today. Luke Bamute messed up his shoulder on, I think it was Tuesday, in L.A. against the Lakers. I mean, he won't play in the series. How much will the Rockets miss Luke Bamute? 
I think more than people, you know, think he's one of those, you know, he's because they've become a switching team, uh, you know, defensively, he's one of those guys that can contain perimeter players uh, as well as defend bigger guys if they do get in those switches. Uh, so he's a key part and he's a very talented player. Uh, you know, obviously another guy who they, you know, put in those corners uh, and has become a three point, you know, corner shooting threat. Um, so, you know, I think he will be missed. Uh, you know, obviously they've got guys that can step up uh, and they've got talent throughout that, that lineup. Uh, but he is a, you know, a key contributor to what they do. You have seen the Wolves recently. I mean, heck, you were you were here coaching against them on Monday. You beat them here just a couple weeks ago, and then the roster you had a couple weeks ago that beat them, you were missing a bunch of those guys on Monday. But but what stands out after seeing the Wolves twice in the last couple weeks? Well, I think, you know, the impact that Jimmy Butler has uh, on that team. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. his leadership, his experience is going to be key, um, you know, to them going forward in, in these moments. Uh, you know, obviously for them, you know, that game that we played them was a must-win uh, game. You could see him, you know, forcing his influence on the game and the guys around him. They obviously have a ton of, you know, talent. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, you know, Wiggins, Jamal Crawford, um, you know, Teague, who has that playoff experience. Uh, they're a very good offensive team, you know, playing in pace, with pace and in space. Uh, you know, I, I think they are, uh, they're going to be a, a tough matchup. Are they a tough team to prepare for? I mean, you know that Tibbs is, is watching film nonstop. I mean, basketball is his life. I mean, it's hard to outwork, you know, the preparation that, that Tibbs puts into, into his team. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And you know that uh, going in as an opposing team uh, that, you know, if your weaknesses are there, if you have flaws, uh, you know, Tibbs is one of the guys that you can count on is going to find him, uh, you know, and then relay him to his team. His teams are going to be prepared uh, for every single situation. Um, so, you know, you have to be on guard. And as a, you know opponent, you have to be secure uh, in what your flaws and weaknesses are and prepare for how they prepare to exploit your flaws. So, uh, you know, it's that chess match going back and forth where, you want to figure out a way, you know, you go back and you watch, you know, how they've defended people who, you know, do these certain things well. And then you look at it and say, well, here's a counter to that. So it's that back and forth uh, that, you know, is the reason why coaches get into this business and do what we do, uh, you know, because it's a, it's a match of wits from, you know, a coaching standpoint. Uh, and then, you know, obviously the execution of the players uh, and, you know, allowing them to be at their best. I think you misspoke. You said how they defended. JB, they haven't defended in two years under Tibbs outside of like an eight-game stretch in January, which is surprising because Tibbs got his Chicago teams to play elite defense. But for whatever reason, the Wolves just don't defend. Well, I, I, would, I would expect a difference uh, in the playoffs, to be honest with you. Um, you know, you've got opportunities to see guys in a seven-game series. Uh, you know, the attention to detail from, you know, young players is going to be heightened. Uh, so I would expect them, you know, to be well prepared, as I'm sure they always are. Uh, but now it's the understanding of, you know, in these series, in the playoffs, uh, if you don't defend, you stand no chance. So uh, they're going to have to go out there and give it their best shot. 
How do you quantify Tibbs has this label as as a defensive coach, but is that maybe unfair? I mean, you look at efficiency. the Wolves are top five. I mean, maybe it's unfair to label a coach a defensive coach or, you know, whatever, an offensive coach if you're Mike D'Antoni. Look at the Rockets. You're right. The Rockets now defend. They're top ten in defense. So do you are you bothered if somebody says J.B. Bickerstaff, defensive coach, or Tom Thibodeau, defensive coach? I mean, you know, obviously you, you get labeled, but you don't make it in this league as a coach if you're not capable on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, again, like you said, you know, the Timberwolves are, you know, tops in the league offensive efficiency. Uh, you know, Tibbs had the reputation of being just a defensive coach. But I think if you're a good coach, you're versatile enough to play to your roster strengths. You know, and for some guys, sometimes you get a group of guys who are just, you know, outstanding on the offensive end of the floor, uh, and your defense suffers a little bit because, you know, your priority is getting the ball back uh, and, you know, beating people with your offense. So I think, you know, you have to be versatile enough to do both. Uh, Obviously, we understand to win championships, you have to do both. Uh, But if you look at it, you know, nobody's ever scored uh, 10 points and won, uh, you know, um, a championship. Like, you have to do both. And in tough situations, you have to be able to score the ball. The games are so tight and so close going down the stretch, um, you know, that if you don't have guys who can, you know, go create a shot, you don't stand a chance to win those games. You know, playoff series, by the you know third game of a playoff series, both teams know every single play that each team is going to run uh, by heart. They've seen it, you know, 15, 20, 25 times. What happens now is who are the players in those plays? Uh, do you win that matchup? Is your defensive stopper better than their best offensive player? Uh, how many of those one-on-one battles can you win uh, ends up determining uh, who wins that series. Games are so tight. Games are so intense. Now, you're right. I mean, the Wolves unofficially played a playoff game against you guys on Monday. They played an unofficial playoff game on Wednesday. I mean, heck, for the last couple of weeks. They've been playing unofficial playoff games. What's the intensity like? How much does it ramp up when it's officially the playoffs? I mean, it's it's huge, you know, to be honest with you. Uh, you spend 82 games, um, you know, where if you look at teams, you know, there's a spurt in each game, right? We always say there's three runs in a game during the regular season, uh, and you want to win two of those runs. Uh, in the playoffs, you know, you can't afford to allow teams to go on runs. So, you know, as cliche as it sounds, every single possession is weighted 10 times more than it is in the regular season. Every mistake you make is weighted 10 times more than it is in the regular season. You know, every loose ball that's available is weighted 10 times more uh, than it is in the regular season. So you literally uh, – have to value every possession and as you know they say you cannot afford to take any possessions off you know and that's in a 48 minute game you know in the regular season you know we see guys make mistakes we see lapses in judgment um you know obviously you'll see those in the playoffs but the numbers of those decrease and if they don't decrease uh whoever it is is heading for an early exit as a coach do you like the atypical setup of of the playoff schedule, I mean, in the Wolves' case, they play Sunday, what is it, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Monday. So, I mean, you think about it. I mean, that's that's a lot of time off in just over a, a four-game stretch. Uh, 
it, it works kind of both ways. Uh, you know, if you, if you win the game, you know, a lot of times you want to get back quickly mm-hmm. uh, so that you can keep that momentum going. Uh, there's also, you know, if you lose the game, you know, you want to have as much time in between so that you can figure out, you know, what happened, what caused you to lose, and how can you turn it uh, around. And it gives you, you know, two days to walk through things, to watch film, to simulate things. So I think it just kind of depends on which side of the ball you fall on uh, that night. It also sometimes comes into effect where, you know, if it's a very close game, if it's a buzzer beater, uh, where, you know, you're sick about it, the one thing you want to do is get back on the court as soon as you possibly can and get that taste out of your mouth. So, uh, you know, the playoffs bring all types of emotions uh, and feelings. Um, you know, the, the great thing is that you're there. You know, that's the fun part. There is, there is nothing uh, like the playoffs in the NBA. You know, it took a while for me to be a part of a team and an organization that made it to the playoffs. Uh, and, you know, after you get that taste of it, uh, you know, that's, it's kind of a, it's a sick thing because you know there's only one team that has the opportunity to win it, uh, but there's nothing like it. You know you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to be miserable. Uh, you're going to be elated. Uh, but there's nothing like being a part of the NBA playoffs. Part of the reason why it took you so long was, you know, the, the early portion of, of your coaching career, you were here in Minnesota. So, I mean, you have a grasp of, you know, I get it. I mean, when you're the eight seed out of 15, is it that big of a deal? Maybe not. But but I think it's different here in Minnesota, JB. And you can speak on this since you spent enough time here. I mean, can you put into words, I mean, you have to have some grasp of, of how monumental this is for, for the Wolves franchise, for the Wolves fan base, that after 14 years, they are finally back in the playoffs. Right. I mean, I, I think that it's huge. Uh, it's a huge step for the organization, uh, for the city, for the fans. Uh, you know, there's great fans uh, in the state of Minnesota who, when we were there and at the very bottom, uh, we're still there, we're still supportive, we're still cheering the guys on and picking them up. And, you know, they're deserving of an opportunity to make the playoffs and play in the playoffs and see what it feels like. Uh, you know, when you're looking at the growth of an organization, the growth of a young group of people and being able to put a plan together that's moving in the right direction. Uh, I think we're seeing the fruits of that plan now. And, you know, you got to give those, you know, the, the guys a ton of credit uh, who put the group together, put the plan together and develop that plan into what it is now. But, you know, what is it, 14 years, I think it is, um, mm-hmm. uh, since they've been in the playoffs and, you know, being in Minnesota when Kevin Garnett was there when I was in college uh, and working, you know, radio, uh, you know, they were there all the time. And you saw there was a change in the city uh, when the playoffs came around. You know, the energy was different downtown. I agree. Minneapolis. Yeah. You know, up in, you know, it was you could feel it. It was electric, uh, you know, leaving the arena after those playoff games. So, um, you know, it's been long overdue, uh, you know, give them credit for putting themselves back in this situation, but uh, the city definitely deserves it. A couple final points, and I'll let you go. Now, who knows? Maybe you'll be on the couch for 12 straight hours on Saturday, 12 straight hours on Sunday, but something tells me the family won't allow that. So if you can only watch one playoff game this weekend, you know, is there one series that you're keying in on saying, I need to go out of my way to watch that series? 
Um, I think the Utah Oklahoma City. Yes, I'm with you. That's that's my uh, that's my pick. Yeah. Yeah, I think that one's going to be a very interesting series. Uh, You know, you look at the immense level of talent that's on the Oklahoma City team. You know, with their big three versus you know a Utah team who is you know very team oriented and very balanced. You know, they lack you know you know superstars uh, like the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder have. They have a bunch of really good players. You know, Ricky Rubio's playing uh, at his high level. Uh, Joe Ingles, Rudy Gobert. You know, but obviously, you know, not the individual superstar labels that the Oklahoma City has. Uh, so, but what they lack there, they make up for in chemistry and uh, team first mentality. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how those styles contrast versus one another and uh, who ends up being the team to come out on top. How much would you like to remain in Memphis? Uh, I would love to. Um, you know, it's it's up in the air right now. Obviously, a decision that they're going to have to make. But uh, my family's become accustomed to living here. Uh, my family loves it here. Uh, the fans uh, and organization have been nothing but supportive. Uh, so I would, you know, I'd love to be able to stick around. Now, leave me with this. How happy are you for a mutual friend of ours, Ben Johnson, moving on to to Xavier? He gets he gets a fancier title. You know, certainly a raise doesn't hurt, and, you know, certainly job security never hurts either. No, no doubt about it. I think he's earned it. Uh, you know, obviously for me, it, I hate to see him leave the U because uh, I think he brings a lot to the University of Minnesota, and you look at the job that he's done uh, in recruiting players uh, to come to the university. Um, but for him, you know, just as a friend and personally, you know, I couldn't be more excited for him. You know, that Xavier program, uh, I think is you know is heading into uh, elite level. You know, being a one seed this year, and I think they'll continue that, and it'll give him exposure and opportunity uh, to help him further his career. So uh, I wish him nothing but the best. I'm worried about our Gophers, JB. I hope everything's going to be okay, but they've lost two assistant coaches in the last week. You know, coming off the year that they just had, I just I'm hopeful, but I'm also in many ways pessimistic. Yeah, I mean, but you always hope for the best. And, you know, hopefully guys come back from injury, uh, you know, prepared to make a jump. Um, you know, but like I said, you, you wish them the best. And then we got <laughs> – there's too many people around uh, from other universities where, where I work. So I need some bragging rights from the home team. <laughs> JB, always a pleasure to catch up, and I hope all is well in your life. All right, appreciate it, and same to you. Admittedly, I'm incredibly biased, but it's time for JB to no longer be an interim head coach. It's time for him to be a head coach in the NBA. I know Mike Conley Jr. is on record saying JB deserves the job. I know others, including Mark Gasol, behind the scenes have gone to bat for JB. Now it's up to management to make a decision. But trust me, Memphis had little to no interest in winning this year. They are happily accepting the fact that they have the second-best lottery odds JB did what he had to do. Heck, he beat the Wolves here a couple weeks ago with Wayne Selden, for God's sakes, making, what, a handful of threes. Then just a couple weeks later, no Selden, no Gasol. I mean, Mark Gasol rests on Monday. Rests? What do you mean rests? It's two games to go in the regular season. So there's things that were out of the head coach's control. I'm just saying I'm on record that I hope that JB gets that job full-time. All right, let's transition to Gary Trent Sr. Figured I'd come up with an angle 
This angle will be maybe an angle that's not that out of the box, but a different type of angle that I haven't seen. It'll be written, though, I'm sure, in the next couple days. But just catching up with somebody that was on the last Wolves playoff team. So Gary would have been on the 2004 playoff team. So we go down memory lane. He also was a coaching intern with Sam Mitchell a couple years ago, so he knows Carl Anthony Towns well. He knows Andrew Wiggins well. He knows Tyus Jones well. He knows Gorgie Jang well. So I caught up with Gary, plus we talked about his son, Gary Trent Jr., going pro after his one year at Duke. Here's my conversation the other day with Gary Trent Sr. Curveball, because Gary Trent Sr. lives in the Apple Valley area, we will get a read-in for a new sponsor of the Scoop Podcast. It is Seltz Craft House in Apple Valley for the best combination of craft beer and crafted cocktails and authentic Irish food. Oh, some fish and chips sounds really good right now. And you are in the vicinity of the South Metro, or heck, if you're like me in the West Metro, you make a drive to the South Metro when you can head to Seltz Craft House. Yes, in Apple Valley. It's authentic as it gets. They have shepherd's pie. Yes, I mentioned fish and chips. There's not a lot of good options in town. For solid fish and chips, well, this is one. There's not many, but this is one. It's Seltz Craft House. They have signature corned beef and cabbage. It's made fresh daily, plus all the great pub grub that you love. They have great daily and lunch specials. They have happy hour from 2 o'clock until 6 o'clock, then 8 o'clock to close, and all day on Sunday as you get older, like me. You get into your late 30s. You get the babysitter during the day on Sunday. You go out with your significant other for some drinks on a Sunday afternoon. You no longer party deep into the night on a Friday or a Saturday. Sunday is oftentimes the day to catch up with your significant other and have some good cocktails. Have a glass of wine or two. Have a good beer. Well, guess what? All day happy hour on Sunday at Seltz Craft House in Apple Valley. Be sure to follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news, updates, and promotions. We hopefully will record a Scoop podcast in the very near future at Seltz Craft House in Apple Valley. Now we get to Gary Trent Sr. Gary, you know the Wolves' hardship, the pain that the franchise has been through as well as anyone. As you were watching last night, or maybe you clicked on your phone after the game and you saw the Wolves beat the Nuggets, they are playoff bound for the first time since you were a player. What was your reaction? Yeah, I'm excited for those young guys, you know, especially, you know, recently being a part of the coaching staff and getting to know all those young guys and the new core that they're building. So to me, it was pretty exciting. And uh, I want to see them do well, man. I want to see them do well. And last night's game, the pressure that it took the winner go home, it's going to help them because that's what the next round is. So they got a little taste of that. You're right. I mean, you were recently a part of the coaching staff. Did you see this being inevitable, that it was just a matter of when, not if, that Carl Anthony Towns, somebody you know well, Andrew Wiggins, would lead this team to the playoffs? Well, I just knew those guys needed to grow, just needed to grow up and get the experience. No matter how much talent you have, no matter how athletic you are, you cannot cheat wisdom. You cannot cheat experience. And that's what those guys needed, just to grow up some. Is it crazy to think that it's been 14 years? that the last time the Wolves went to the playoffs was when you were a player on that 2014? Well, you know, that's how sports cycle, man. You know, they'll have some good years. It's happened with every organization. You know, Lakers were hot at one time. They go to a drought, they come back. So it happens just in every organization. When you dominate for a long time, there's only a few organizations that really, like the Patriots and like the Spurs, they just always keep those pieces so they never fall off. But for the most part, it's a, it's a tough business. But 14 years is pretty absurd isn't it i mean when eight out of 15 teams in the west make it so just simple math on a year-to-year basis you have better than a 50 percent chance to make the playoffs 
to miss 14 years in a row is really hard. Uh, you know, there was a lot of things that went on behind the scenes that, you know, changed opportunities, draft picks and things like that. And, you know, those penalties are put in place to make it hard for you to recover. But I think they're in the right direction now. They got, you know, some strong people over there. That's what they wanted Tibbs to come in here and do, change the culture. And I think they're on their way to doing that. How do you analyze the matchup with the Houston Rockets? It's going to be a tough matchup. You know, they're number one for a reason, and the Wolves are number eight for a reason. But anything can happen out here. And, you know, anybody starts getting hot and getting some confidence and the whole purpose of mixing in those veterans like Jimmy and those guys were to help propel through moments like this, get us into the playoffs because you couldn't cheat the experience. You know, so we had a, a young core, but you still needed some, some adults in that situation and some grown-ups that has played this game. And they have those grown-ups. I mean... You think about the Wolves making the changes they did from a year ago. I mean, you add a Taj Gibson, you add a Jamal Crawford, you add a Jimmy Butler or Jeff Teague. I mean, this Wolves team is no longer, it's not a young team, really, when you got those four guys. Well, you know, they're, they're still young in a sense of they still have a lot of gas in the tank. I'd say all those guys still, you know, maybe Jamal, but they, he's still young and he's still vibrant. Yeah, but most of those yeah. guys still got gas in the yeah. tank. So I think, uh, you know, they can still keep, you know, building this core and pushing, you know, and adding some few things here and there because it's going to be a tough matchup. But this is what they needed, the organization, the city. I think it's just a beautiful thing. Does Taj Gibson have a little Gary Trent Sr. to his game? Uh, I mean, he's got some toughness down there. I like that. He's athletic. He's not scared to dunk on you. He's not scared to try to block a dunk attempt. And I like the way he plays, you know. And I think, you know, his, his presence inside adds something to this team. There's a lot of things that he does that is not on paper that even adds more to what he does that's on paper. So I think he's going to be key. I'm sure you have many memories from that 2004 run. What stands out when you reminisce about, about that year? Just the excitement and the camaraderie and the emotion in the air within the fellas of just being on that journey, believing that we were really going to win that. That's it's just, a, it's just a feeling of, you just can't explain. Do you feel like if Sam Cassell had not gotten hurt that you guys would have won the championship? I don't feel. I know. Yeah. It's hard to go into war losing your general. You know, you can't lose one of your generals. It's just, it just makes it harder. Not saying that it can't be overcame, it just makes it harder. I mean, nothing against KG and, and Fred Hoiberg, but you really didn't want those guys bringing the ball up against the Lakers in the Western Conference. Finals. That's not their role, you know. Everybody needs to play their role in order for the thing to succeed. It's like, um, you know, like a like an army ants or an ant family, you know, ant colony. Everybody has to play a role in order for this to succeed, and that's what has to happen. KG's Game 7 against the Kings. How special was that night? That's, that's what he was. He was special. You know, just not that night, but you have to be special before that night in order to perform like that on that night. What do you remember about the town, just the buzz that you guys created? I mean, this really is, I mean, heck, people say it's, it's the state of hockey. I'd argue it's actually the metropolitan area of basketball. There are so many basketball fans. I mean, I remember the block parties outside on First Avenue. I mean, that run you guys had. It really galvanized the basketball community here. Well, yeah, I give you that, but probably because the hockey is in St. Paul, but I really believe this is a hockey state. You know, we border Canada and the ice, you know, people are sliding around, but I, I think they love basketball. Don't, I'm not denying that at all. But I, I think just, you know, you, you see kids just playing hockey at a younger age. I've never seen a, I'm from Ohio, you know, I've never seen a place so excited about hockey. 
you know, but uh, it's, a, it's, it's great for places to have, you know, in uh, different geographical locations to have that. You know, I would have probably never experienced something like this. Living in Texas, you know, when I was playing for the Mavericks, you're not seeing kids in the rest of hockey like that. So, you know, where you live has a great influence on you. Do you remember that buzz, though? I mean, that particular stretch of April and May, how excited this town was? People were excited. You know, people were, you know, downtown was busy. It was clogged up. It was a lot of people. You know, it brings out a lot of people. And then I think back then the weather was a little better too sooner, so it was warmer earlier. <laughs> yeah. I'll leave you after this while I have you here. Your son declares for the draft. How influential were you in that decision, or was that all him? Well, you know, we talked about it, and he felt like that was the best decision for him. And he's got some opportunities out there, and he's been working hard, and he'll be okay. Is he still in Durham finishing up classes and finish, training? Yeah, in you have to North finish Carolina. up class, and he's still, you know, doing his strength and conditioning. You know, so it's, uh, it's, it's okay. It's also a grind, though. I mean, it's hard to see works. I mean, this has to be incredibly busy for him right now. Oh, yeah, definitely a busy time. You know, but they, they get out of school early, you know, due to how early they start. So, you know, he can get into his pre-draft training and all that very soon. What makes you convinced that come next year, come November, he's ready to play in the league? I've watched him win at every level of his life, from elementary to gold medals with Team USA to state championships. My son has never not won, and you've never been on that stage and not performed and succeeded with all the other kids who are in that type of ranking. You, you, know, you were ranked all throughout your high school career. That wasn't a fluke. That was from your work. You weren't the number one shooting guard as a fluke. Not, they're not going to give you that a couple years in a row. No, that's something that you work for, you know, and, and he still is that. And he's got an NBA skill right now. I mean, I'd argue his shooting, that's an NBA skill right this second. Well, he definitely can shoot the ball, but if you look at his numbers, he's always been a scorer that can shoot. He's never not been a scorer. You know, Team USA MVP, leading scorer. You know, you've always been a scorer that can shoot. You know, go to the hole, put it on the floor. So it'll all, it'll all come out. It's a deep draft. I mean, do you sense that he can go in the first round? Yes, very much so. I mean, and you've got NBA contacts. I mean, you don't say that lightly, I'm guessing? No, I believe so. That one was a first. Doing this now just about 21 years between TV and radio. I've never interviewed an individual in a nail salon, but Gary Trent Sr. was running all around on Thursday. My Friday schedule I knew was all over the place, so my best bet to connect with him was while he was getting his nails done and his feet done. He was getting a manicure and a pedicure. So thank you to Q Nails in Burnsville for allowing us to do a TV interview while they were open for business. Gary Trent Sr. I had to get him. I wanted to come up with an angle for TV purposes, and the angle was tracking down somebody on the last Wolves playoff team, but I figured, hey, while I have Gary, he coached with the Wolves two years ago. He's got a son going to the NBA, so I figured I'd hit him with a couple other bullet points, talking points. But, yeah, that was a first, absolutely, interviewing somebody in a nail salon. As we transition to notes, be sure to support Indochino, Indochino.com online, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. They make fantastic suits. You think about the wedding season fast approaching. Well, who knows with the foot of snow coming this weekend. But in theory, May, June, July, August, September, very popular wedding months. So if you have a special occasion coming up or you have a job interview or you have a hot date or whatever it might be, if you're in the market for a new suit, guys, consider Indochino. They have a showroom at the Mall of America 
on the first floor. So if you're at the mall anytime in the near future, swing into their showroom. You can see everything they have or online, Indochino.com. You put in your measurements if you have those measurements or have your significant other grab your measurements, whatever it might be. You can put your measurements in. You customize the suit. They have all sorts of selections available for you. I just got my midnight blue suit in the mail the other day. It got mailed from China. It is fantastic. I look forward to wearing that suit on TV. Plus, if you use the promo code SCOOP, Scoop, S-C-O-O-P, Scoop, you can get a premium suit from Indochino for $379. When you check out, there's an opportunity to enter in a promo code. In this case, use Scoop. So if you're looking for a really nice suit, Google Indochino. All sorts of great reviews online. Be sure to consider Indochino, one of the sponsors of the Scoop podcast. I will keep the basketball theme going. Let's start with the Wolves. Brian Pauga, director of personnel. He wasn't able to be at the game on Wednesday. Hey, the future is always on the front office's minds. So he was, and he still is, at Portsmouth. Although transitioning, the Wolves also have Staff at the Nike Hoop Summit in Portland. Trey Jones playing in the game on Friday night. Daniel Oturu of Creighton, Darham Hall on the world team, but he's dealing with a shoulder injury. So Daniel is not playing on national TV on Friday night. But nonetheless, the Wolves have staff members in Portland right now and in Portsmouth out east in Virginia. It is a busy scouting time. In fact, at Portsmouth, I've heard good things about Nate Mason of the Gophers and former Benilde St. Margaret's High School star from the University of Cincinnati, Kyle Washington. The other local angle at Portsmouth is Zach Lofton. He played his high school basketball at Columbia Heights. He is there as well. J.P. Makira, as I reported on this podcast a few weeks back, got an invite to Portsmouth. He declined the invite, so J.P. Makira is not there. So the three guys there with local ties, Nate Mason of the Gophers, Kyle Washington, Benilde St. Margaret's High School, and Zach Lofton, Columbia Heights High School. Back to the Wolves, Adrian Wojnarowski. Woj was on SportsCenter on Thursday because I got a couple tweets about this. And he said that the Wolves' first choice before they hired Tom Thibodeau was Monty Williams. Here's what I can tell you. Monty Williams was very much on Glenn Taylor's radar. The Wolves had all sorts of interest in Monty, but because Monty had lost his wife just a few weeks or months prior, he was never really considering taking the Wolves' job. It never got to the point of any sort of full-fledged offer. Monty just wasn't mentally in the right spot to be taking a head coaching job. Now, this upcoming offseason, you know, when Monty is done with his work, I think he's doing some work with the Spurs. I should look that up, I guess, real quick. But And it is the Spurs. But what I'm getting at is it was never a real consideration. As much as the Wolves liked Monty Williams, heck, if Monty was in a place mentally to be ready to take a head coaching job, yeah, I absolutely could see Monty Williams here as the Wolves head coach right now. But it just it never got to that point because Monty was never mentally – in the right place to take any head coaching job. So I don't want to say that Monty Williams was plan A, you know, 1A, 1B. I mean, Tibbs was very much on Glenn Taylor's radar right from the get-go, going back a number of weeks when he knew that he would fire Sam Mitchell. So I don't want to say that Monty Williams was choice one, Tibbs was choice two. I think that is inaccurate. Tibbs was very much from the get-go on Glenn Taylor's radar. But I just wanted to clear that up, that Monty was very much on the Wolves' radar, but it just it was never going to happen. But Monty, this offseason, will land a job. He is now in a good spot, so whether it's Orlando – you know, I hope not Memphis, but maybe Memphis, Phoenix, wherever, Monty Williams is going to land one of these jobs. In my opinion, he is the best candidate available. Transitioning to Gophers basketball, Nick Norton, an Alabama-Birmingham transfer point guard, graduate transfer point guard, 
will visit the Gophers in early May. That he tells to John Rothstein, who does some work for CBS. That certainly is not my own original scoop. But Nick Norton, another one of those targets for the Gophers. We have talked for weeks about Patino's goal, number one goal right now, is to add an experienced ball handler. I mean, heck, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out because Isaiah Washington at this point is very much up in the air just in terms of of him being able to play 28 to 33 minutes a game next year. So you need to bring in somebody else that can play the point guard position. The Gophers have those three scholarship openings. So Nick Norton is a graduate transfer. So in other words, he would be eligible to play right away, a graduate transfer that interests the Gophers. So does Matt Mooney of South Dakota, but so many schools are after him. Iowa State's getting a visit with him on Friday. I know Northwestern thinks they have a crack at him. Michigan feels like they have a crack at him. What I'm getting at is the Gophers, while they like Mooney, realize that they have just about no chance to land him. I'm bouncing all around because that's the way I somehow wrote down my notes. Reed Travis of De La Salle High School, Stanford University, declared for the draft, did not hire an agent. So he'll go through the process. If he has a chance to be a first-round pick, of course he'll keep his name in the draft. In my opinion, Reed Travis is an NBA player, so it's a matter of when, not if. But he does have another year of college eligibility. So if he discovers that he won't go in the first round in a very deep draft, one of the deepest drafts in recent years... He can go back to Stanford, or he can be a graduate transfer. Now, word is, no, he would not come to the Gophers. I don't even know if the Gophers would have an interest, although a player that good, of course you would have interest. Everybody would have interest in a player that talented. But word is, he would not come home. He would not play for the Gophers. I do hear that Kansas and Villanova are two programs that have some level of interest in Reed, and I'm sure Reed would have interest in them as well. When you can play for a Blue Blood, why not play for a Blue Blood in your last year? if he decides to play that fifth year of college basketball. He got the medical redshirt year. So, again, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Reed, if he stays in the draft, if he doesn't. But if he doesn't, being a graduate transfer, leaving Stanford to go to a blue blood is certainly in play. All right, back to the Gophers. I know that Ryan James, I was texting with him. He's as plugged into the local basketball community as anyone. I know he's got some steam on Greg Paulus, possibly taking Ben Johnson's job with the Gophers. I've heard a lot of good things about Rob Jeter, the assistant coach hire that takes over for Kamani Young. I know Rob knows Jalen Suggs' dad pretty well. He knows Brian Sandifer, who runs an AAU team in town that Jalen plays for. Rob recruited guys off that AAU team. So those two gentlemen have a relationship with Jeter. They love Jeter. Doesn't mean Jalen Suggs is coming here. In fact, that's a pipe dream. But the point is those two gentlemen love Jeter. I texted with Ryan Miller, Mike Miller's brother, who's an assistant coach at TCU, used to coach at UNLV. That's where Jeter came from. Miller's heard all sorts of good things about Jeter. Jared Nunes of Baylor, he's a friend, so he knows a lot of people in the industry. He doesn't know Rob real well, but he said he knows others who say Rob is tremendous. So all signs point to Richard Pitino doing a good job filling that one assistant job, replacing Kamani Young with Rob Jeter. Now, losing Ben Jansen, make no mistake, that is an enormous loss. I'm sure publicly they will spin it some other way, but all the things that Ben did, heck, Amir Coffey, for example, is not a gopher without Ben Johnson. That was not Richard Pitino's doing. That was Ben Johnson. Knows X's and O's, has all sorts of great relationships in this state, in this country, was an assistant coach in Nebraska before coming to the Gophers here the last five years. I thought he would leave eventually, but I thought he would leave for a head coaching job. Ben Johnson one day will be a head coach. So unfortunate that he's leaving for Xavier. Yes, Xavier, a better program than the Gophers. Yes, he knows the head coach there, the new head coach Steele, 
pretty well. He's getting a raise. He's got more job security, all that stuff. But just unfortunate that the Gophers lost Ben Johnson for another assistant job. So who will they get to replace him? As I said, Ryan James, here's the name, Greg Paulus. I heard no on Dave Thorson. I heard no on Richard Hurt. That's the father of Matthew Hurt. So I've gotten a bunch of no's. I also hear that Sharp, his last name is Sharp. What's his first name? I have it written down. Daryl Sharp. He's at Hampton. Used to coach at Minneapolis Washburn in the late 90s. Used to coach with Howard Pulley, so he knows this area incredibly well. I hear that Sharp has interest in the job, but I also hear that the Gophers will not hire him. So I've gotten no's on a bunch of different names. Now, I think the Gophers would have interest in Thorson, but Thorson is is tied to Nico Medved at Colorado State. He is going to Colorado State, so no on Dave Thorson. And Richard Hurt, yes, I think there is absolute interest there, but he's got a tremendous life. He wants Matthew Hurt to have his own recruitment, wants that recruitment to stand on its own validity and all that, and Matthew getting the the love that he deserves and no pressure to join his dad if his dad took an assistant coach's job. Plus, again, these guys know that Richard Pitino's job is up in the air, his status beyond next year. Now, if the Gophers win, if Richard Pitino brings in three great players or two great players with these scholarship openings, they win next year, yes, Richard Pitino will be here for the next few years. But the pressure is on a ton next year for Richard Patino. So I'm just telling you, whether it's Ben Johnson or Kamani Young, it wasn't the sole reason they left, but they had to consider the fact that Richard Patino is on the hot seat, that one year from now, if Richard Patino loses his job, if those guys had stayed, they too would have lost their jobs. Back to women's hoops. Yes, Janelle McCarville saying she would have an interest in joining Lindsay Whalen's staff. The word is Lindsay has some interest in Jim Peterson. She played under Jim with the Lynx. Remember a few years ago, Jim Peterson had a chance to be the head coach of the WNBA Connecticut team, but he wasn't ready to take that job. Then he resigned his position with the Lynx, assistant coach with the Lynx under Cheryl Reeve, because he wanted to free up more time with his family. He loves broadcasting Wolves games, but he thinks the world of Lindsay. So that will be interesting. I don't know how Jim Peterson feels at this moment. Is he ready to get back into that grind of of coaching, or is he content broadcasting Wolves games and living the life that he currently lives? But I hear that Lindsay Whalen would have interest in Jim if Jim would have an interest in joining her staff. Give Mark Coyle credit. He identified one top candidate. He landed that candidate, much like P.J. Fleck, much like Bob Motzko. Mark Coyle, the Gophers AD, does a good job with these coach searches. I did hear that at least internally, maybe with Julie Manning, some others with the university, I don't know if I got to the point of calling these coaches agents, but internally the names Felicia Leggett-Jack, she's the head coach at Buffalo University, and Noel Ivy, an assistant coach at Notre Dame. I do know at least internally and maybe beyond internally that those two women came up in conversation. But again, all signs point to Mark Coyle doing the most homework on Lindsey Whalen. Lindsey Whalen was target A, and he landed target A. What else do I have written down? On the Vikings, Dante Johnson, the free agent cornerback, was in for a visit earlier this week. He started 16 games for the 49ers last year. He actually signed with Seattle middle of the week. The Vikings did not make him an offer. So it's not like the Vikings lost out on him and Seattle got him. The Vikings visited with him. They had some interest, some level of interest. They did not extend him an offer. The Vikings still have interest in retaining Terrence Newman, but I continue to hear that they want him back at a lower number than he made last year. So is Terrence willing to take a pay cut? That remains to be seen. I continue to hear that the Vikings still don't have a draftable grade on Jake Wenicky, which surprises me. That's unfortunate because I like Jake Wenicky. Yes, I'm biased, always biased with the local guys. 
Maple Grove High School wide receiver, South Dakota State wide receiver. I sense that the Vikings' interest in Hill Murray High School linebacker and Badgers linebacker Jack Sitchie is genuine. He visited the Packers this week, visited the Vikings last week. We had Stephen Richardson and Jonathan Celestine, former Gophers, on this podcast recently. Celestine gaining some interest from the Lions, from the Rams. Richardson gaining some interest from the Steelers, the Seahawks, the 49ers. The Gophers prospect, former Gopher, that has the most interest, it seems, is punter Ryan Santoso. The Lions have interest. The Dolphins, the Ravens, the Titans. He has had either eight private workouts and or visits. So Ryan Santoso gaining all sorts of interest. Of course, the punter is is not going to get drafted, but some team is going to offer him a good amount of money as an undrafted free agent because if there's eight teams showing some level of interest, presumably he'll have at least two or three offers so he'll have to decide where he'll want to go, but he should be able to make a little bit more than the minimum. So Ryan Santoso, good for you. Good guy. I have a few other notes, but nothing of uber importance, so I can save those for next week. We got into Max Kepler turning it on to Twins Extension, Eddie Rosario last week. George Carl was on Scoop Podcast episode 138. So if you need a fix of some Twins talk, check that out. Plus, George was great on the Wolves. Also, what else do I have from recent time? I think one of the podcasts last week I got into where the Vikings are with Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, Daniil Hunter, and Stefan Diggs, which is nowhere in short. But if you're curious on where things stand or don't stand on contract extension talks, that was on a Scoop podcast from last week. So that does it. We are done. Scoop podcast episode 139 is in the books. Survive the foot of snow this weekend if you live either in the metro area or just north of the metro area.